this summer we're talking about best summer ever. And we've heard from Pastor Mark, we've heard from Pastor Fran, uh, Terry Reynolds shared with us, and we've been talking about best gifts, uh, we talked about best friends, best scripture, just best, best, best. And where a lot of this came from early in the year, January, February, some of the leadership, we got together and we just began pondering our summer plan. What do we want to do this summer? And so then we started with what makes summer great? Like what sets summer apart from all the other times? Why do we love summer? And we just really began discussing and reminiscing and talking. We, we talked about vacation. We talked about late bedtimes. We talked about no school, which for the kiddos is awesome. For the parents, not as great, but it's fine. Um, we talked about the pool. We talked about the beach. You know, we just, this list went on and on. We talked about growing up at grandparents' houses and slumber parties. And so we then said, if we took all of our favorites, all of the bests of summer and wrapped them all up, how could we plan a summer that would encompass that. And so that's kind of what our goal has been. That has been the challenge is let's take all of our favorites and just make them happen and invite our friends to participate, which is you guys. And that's what we've been doing. So we had our, our community kickoff. We had our Amerson rain day last week, but we had a fun cookout on Sunday. Uh, the youth have gone to Tijuana. They've gone whitewater rafting. Our kids have been having all kinds of crazy fun as well. And so we just said, let's just make it the best. But as I, as I was getting ready for this morning um, and just thinking about my bests and my experiences, some of the things that, that I found myself kind of struggling with was the idea of best. And here's what I mean by that. Um, so I follow this mom on Instagram, and her Instagram name is most okayest mom. <laughs> and I can relate to that. And see, here, here's what it is. We love the idea of best, right? Like, if the, the choice is best, mediocre, or bottom of the barrel, what do we typically aim for? Typically, it's best. It's like, hey, would you like a three-week-old tuna sandwich? No. No, I do not, right? Like, that doesn't interest us. The best is something we strive for. The best is something we shoot for. It, it's what we work hard to accomplish, the best. But when I began kind of looking at some of my bests, I found myself struggling because the best can be exhausting. The best costs something, right? Uh, th there's an expectation associated with best, and then with expectation comes pressure, and then with pressure comes potentially disappointing somebody because I didn't get it quite right, and, and it's just this long thing. So what I find myself often doing is instead of shooting for the best, I'm pretty okay with good enough, right? Like, I'm fine. Fine is normal, fine is average, mediocre, we're good. And so the Lord has really been kind of convicting me because I find myself in a lot of areas of my life doing good enough, being fine, right? Um, and the thing is, this is the other one that, that's pretty bad. At least I'm better than so-and-so, right? Does anybody else fall guilty? Please tell me, somebody just nod. Okay, makes me feel a little less vulnerable up here. Um, but as I was preparing for today, I felt like the Lord was saying, I am the God of best. I am the God of best. My love is not just good enough. My forgiveness is not just average. I am the God of best. 
And I needed to hear that. As I was trying to prepare a message and an idea, I needed to hear that the God I'm talking to you about is the God of the best, not just the God of the medium, not just the God that, that gets me through and, and lets me check off the box. John 14, um, Jesus was with his disciples. It was the where we are in the story. It's John 14, verse 6, I want to share with you. But he just had the Last Supper. He just washed the disciples' feet. Um, he had... Uh, predicted Peter's betrayal. And so he's talking with the disciples here in the story, and, and they're kind of confused because he's telling them what the next few days are going to be, and they're just kind of heartbroken. Like, what do you mean? You're about to die. What's going on? And so they're struggling, and Jesus is comforting them, and he says in verse 6, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. You see, when it comes to determining the bests in our life, those are often the places we struggle with, right? What is the best direction? What is the best path? What is the best job? What is the best right way or wrong way? How do I know what road to take? What is the best way? And then we say, well, what, what is right from wrong? How do I know what decision to make? How do I know if it's the right thing or the wrong thing? I mean, we kind of live in a world of gray, right? Or so we're told, <laughs> Or we say, am I living my best life? Is this what it's all about? Is this what I'm striving for? Is this what I'm working for? Is this it? That scripture, John 14, 6, it, it gives us the answer to those questions. Jesus, Jesus is the way. So we say, hey, what path should I follow? We should follow Jesus. We say, what's right and what's wrong? Well, we could follow the example that Jesus gave us in scripture. And then when we say, is this all that life is about? Is this all I have? We say, well, Jesus is life. I know that that sounds really simple, but for me it was kind of huge. Because if Jesus is the way and Jesus is the truth and Jesus is the life, then what am I struggling with? Why am I taking on all of this unnecessary pressure? God's heart for the world is best. He sustains, he provides, he positions his redemption is best. Today, that was just a little side note, today as I talk about best summer ever, where God has brought me is to talk a little bit about our best yes. So when I say best yes, I'm saying best yes. Not just medium, not just fine. The best yes are the yeses that will cost us. Our best yeses are the yeses that will offend somebody, likely. They are the yeses that uh, will maybe mean no to the things you thought you wanted. <laughs> Those are the yeses that we're talking about. These are the yeses that will bring us into God's complete and perfect plan and will for our lives. So as I unpack this, I want to share with you a few yeses from Scripture that I think are pretty stellar and we could learn from. Um, the first is in Exodus 3, and this is uh, where Moses says, yes to God. Now Moses is uh, one we know a lot about. He's, he's kind of a big deal in the Bible. Um, but where we pick up here in Exodus 3, I want to share with you really quick the backstory. This is just the beginning of Moses. So where we are in, in Exodus 3, we find out that uh, Moses was an Israelite and his people uh, were in slavery to the Egyptians. So even though Moses's people were in slavery to the Egyptians, Moses grew up in the house of Pharaoh. Uh, some of you might remember the, the children's story. Moses was the baby who was put in a basket because Pharaoh wanted all the baby boys to die, and so the Israelite baby boys to die. So he was put in a basket, and then he was put in the Nile River, and then Pharaoh's daughter found the basket in the river because, you know, that happens. Um, well, she was taking a bath. That's a whole thing. But she took Moses home 
with her to raise as her son. So yes, Moses was an Israelite, but he grew up in the house of Pharaoh. And so where we are here in chapter 3, we also know that Moses, as a young man, committed murder and had run away from it. So he's run away from his past. He is now in the city of Midian, and he is a shepherd, and he's married, and he has a son. So here we are in chapter 3. Moses is tending his flock. He's out in the wilderness, and God shows up. In fact, Scripture says that Moses sees a bush in the distance, and there is a fire in the bush, but the bush, the bush is not burning. Scripture says that is how Moses was to know that it was the presence of God. And, and the angel of God is there and the voice of God speaks. And it's at this moment with the burning bush that Moses' life changes. It shifts. This is where Moses' best yes begins. And, and like I said, for those of you who know Moses, there's a lot of story beyond this. There's the, the ten plagues. There's the Red Sea that splits in two. There's the wilderness. There's water from the rock. There's bread from the sky. There's like a gold cow mixed in there. Um, the Ten Commandments. There's a whole deal of Moses. But this is where the yes begins. This is where his journey really takes off with God. And it's here in this burning bush that God tells Moses that he wants him to free the Israelites. He wants him to deliver the Israelites out of slavery. So Moses is going to go before Pharaoh. And remember, Moses grew up in Pharaoh's house. So Moses likely knows Pharaoh. Um, so he's to go before Pharaoh and demand to Pharaoh that he release God's people, the Israelites. Now, the thing that is awesome about this, yes, is um, Moses was not looking to save anybody that day as he was shepherding his flock, right? I mean, I mean, if you remember, I said Moses was trying to run away from his past. He was not trying to be anybody's hero. He was not trying to be the savior. He was not trying to be anything except an ordinary shepherd. In fact, as God was laying out the plan and telling Moses, this is what I want you to do and this is what I want you to say, Moses told God how very un, um, un adequate, inadequate he was. Hey God, let me tell you who I am. Let me tell you my shortcomings and my failures and why I'm really not the guy for the job. In fact, chapter 4 verse 13, Moses says, please pick somebody else. Please pick somebody else. But Moses's best yes was allowing God to be God through him. It wasn't because he, he was able. It wasn't because he had some great portfolio of what he had accomplished. Um, the thing with Moses was that he just said, yeah, okay. Even though I'm all these things, even though I can't do this and I can't do that and I'm, I'm inadequate and I'm not a good speaker and I, I'm not good with words and how do I know that they'll listen? And he just went on and on and on. But I, I will do my best to follow you and to be faithful and if we continue on with the life of Moses, we find out that he didn't always get it right. In fact, because of some choices Moses made, he, he wasn't able to enter into the promised land. So he wandered in the desert and he could see it in the distance, but he wasn't able to enter in. So it wasn't about always getting it right. It wasn't about saying from this point on, I'm just going to be perfect and it's going to be great. No, that wasn't it. Moses recognized who God was and he said, I'm going to do everything in my power to be faithful to that. Not because of who I am and not because what I'm able to do, but because of who I know God is. Because of his word, because of his promise, because of his plan, I will do what I can to be faithful. Moses' best yes started when he turned to God. 
Now, here's a, ne- a next story, and it's one of my absolute favorites. Um, this is in Daniel 3. So this yes has to deal with no. Our best yeses sometimes start with no. Daniel 3, uh, it's a great story. So uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, he's the king of Babylon at this point, and he has come and he's conquered Jerusalem. And he took this group of Jerusalem royalty and, and nobles, these men and young boys, and he brought them in, into his palace and he wanted them to be trained. He wanted them to learn Babylonian language and Babylonian literature so that they would become his, his faithful scribes, his, his servants, if you will, his royal subjects. Among these boys were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Those were the names given to them after they passed all the king's tests. So these boys, they had favor with the king. They stood out among the other Israelite boys that that were were chosen. Um, In fact, chapter 2 tells us that King Nebuchadnezzar put them as administrators over Babylon. So they had some clout. They had a little bit of leverage. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, as was customary and common of the time, and also a familiar practice with Babylonians, um, he built a statue, a big one, a big gold statue, and he wanted it worshipped. See, they had a lot of gods, a lot, and this was a big one for him. And so um, the Bible refers to this as idol worship, mind you, but King Nebuchadnezzar wasn't really a big fan of the God of Israel. He, he, wasn't, he, he didn't care about that. So he built this huge statue, and he said, I want everybody to bow down. I want the whole village. In honor of this statue that was built, he brought in this big orchestra, and he said, when the music plays, I want everyone to bow. And if you don't bow, you will be burned alive. <laughs> right? So the king's astrologers and some of his wise counsel... They noticed that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, um, they weren't bowing down. They weren't listening to what the king had, had ordered. So they brought it before the king, and the king was furious. So the king sought them out. He's like, okay, let me tell you how this works. I am the king. I have issued a decree, and you must comply. Bow down when you hear the music. And they refused. In fact, Daniel chapter 3.18, this is maybe one of my favorite verses in Scripture. It says... If the God we serve is able to deliver us, then he will deliver us from the furnace and from the hand, from your majesty's hand. But even if he doesn't deliver us, we will not bow down to your idols or your gods. So, of course, Nebuchadnezzar was pretty cranky about that. In fact, the Bible says that he turned the furnace up seven times hotter. In fact, it says that the guards that were guarding Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it was so hot that it killed them. So Nebuchadnezzar is angry, and he's going to prove a point. I am the king, and people obey me. So he throws Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace. And if you guys know the story, he comes back a few minutes later, and he says, wait a minute, I I threw three men in, but there are four. Scripture says Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in what looks like the son of God. So Nebuchadnezzar is just in awe. So he pulls them out, not even their clothes smell of smoke. And he makes this big decree about the God of Israel and how powerful he must be. Now, no, I say the God of Israel is one of his many gods. But he was so amazed that he even promoted them in their position. So this situation for them, their best yes, began with no. No, we will not bow down. No, we will not fall to the temptation to fit in. No, we will not... um, Listen to the expectations set by others. Even in the face of persecution, no. 
Their best yes to God began with a no to the world. Now, for me, this is the one that resonated with me. I think we all could learn a little bit from the power of no, right? Um, Lisa Turkhurst is this Christian author that I, I, I follow and I read some of her stuff, but she has this phrase called the disease to please. <laughs> the disease to please. And I think many of us fall into that category. Many of us are yes people. Uh, we overcomplicate our lives. We overcomplicate our schedules, right? We overextend. We just try to fit it all in. We overcommit ourselves because for us, no is not an option. We can get it done. Who needs sleep, right? Who, who, needs, who needs sleep? Because we have to do it all. We have to be a good parent. We have to be a good worker and we have to be a good spouse and we have to be a good daughter or a good friend. And we get all this pressure and it doesn't really matter because we just have to figure out how to get it all done. And then what happens? We end up feeling like failures because we can't. Saying no to the world too doesn't just mean saying no to the bad things. It doesn't just mean saying, well, I'm not going to do drugs or I'm not going to, you know, steal or rob or any of those big, bad, scary sins. No, saying no to the world means saying no to the, the expectations that others put on you. It says no to the unrealistic standards of being perfect or this idea that God will only accept us if we show him how good we are, how, how much we've earned God's approval. Our best yes, a lot of times, will likely begin with no. Um, to be honest, the last, and I shared this this morning with my friend, Laura Clara, uh, the last week I, I have kind of issued this prayer to God saying, Lord, I would like um, a wrap-up with three easy steps, please. Um, thank you. I, I would like the three easy points of do this, do this, do this, and you will just find all of the things that God wants you to know in your life and how to make your, your best yes and how to make it stand and how to be strong and true and, and not falter. Well, God has not answered that one for me. Um, yeah, it wasn't quite, quite that easy. But what I have recognized as I have walked kind of this journey of the bests for me um, are the things that have gotten in the way of my best yeses. Um, the first one is this. I say yes so often to everything that I can't do anything very well. I just kind of hit on that a little bit. Um, boundaries are something I struggle with, and I think some of us might relate to that. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. We say it a lot in the house. Boundaries, boundaries, boundaries. Boundaries at work, boundaries at home, boundaries with our kids, boundaries with our cell phones, boundaries with our finances. Now, these are things that we're like, oh, yeah, we know about but we don't often live out boundaries. It is healthy to say no. No is, we say that at home a lot with, I have a, a almost three-year-old and an almost five-year-old. No is an answer, right? No is an answer. But here's the thing, you have to establish what's important and protect it. So if your family is important, establish that, protect it. Don't take the evening meetings at work. Don't, don't fill your weekends full of everything that you don't get to enjoy each other because you're going from thing to thing to thing. If your faith is important, protect it. Get in your word, read, study, join a small group, be in prayer. That is how your faith grows. Protect it. Don't just overextend yourself so you're like, oh, I just don't have time for a quiet time. I don't have time to join a small group. No, that, that's not it. Here was another one. Um, what gets in the way of my best yes? When I say yes to someone else's yes. Here's what I mean by that. Romans 12 it talks about uh, how we all have unique gifts. We all have talents that God has given us. We all have things that he has gifted us with. 
In fact, it talks about, like, uh, it, it relates it to the human body, how there is one body, but it's made up of all the parts, right? All bunches of parts, and each part has its own function and, and gift and thing it is supposed to do. Um, if you think about it, I mean, what would a body be if it was just, you know, knees and elbows? I mean, it, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't be functioning. Or if you're, you think of like, well, what is the most important part of the body? Well, the eyes are pretty important. But if your body is made up of only eyes, then you're really missing out. In the same way, God has given each of us gifts and talents. And he is depending on us to use them. I want to say that again, depending on us to use them. It's not an invitation. It's not a, hey, if you have time, hey, if it fits your schedule, or hey, if you're comfortable using the gifts God has given you. No, God is depending on us to use the gifts that he has crafted for each of us to do. And if I am so busy doing everything else that I am doing somebody else's yes, then not only am I robbing the blessing from them, but I'm also keeping myself from the fullness and blessing of who God has me to be because I'm being somebody else's thing. If I'm supposed to be an elbow, I better be a darn elbow, right? Here's the third thing that gets in the way, I think. For me, saying yes to God, thinking it's going to be easy. Thinking it's going to be painless. I said yes to God. I have made a sacrifice, right? Isn't that somehow we sell that sometimes? There are plenty of best yeses in Scripture that I think uh, we could look to that don't turn out all glitter and unicorns. Um, Just off the top of my mind, I think of... um, the Apostle Stephen in Acts 7, he was stoned for his yes. That was a big one. Uh, John the Baptist, I mean, he was, we all have heard of him. He was beheaded. I mean, that was a big yes, right? In fact, 2 Corinthians 1, 5, it says, plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah. Sometimes we get this idea that following Jesus is going to be easy peasy, that, that it's okay to not stand up. It's okay to, to stay silent. It's okay to just blend in. No, no. In fact, it says, following the Messiah, there will be hard times. Because I follow God doesn't mean I won't experience pain and hurt and hardship. Because I am a follower of Christ does not mean I'm privileged over people who don't follow Christ. That's not what it means. All it means is that I am connected to the one who can fix it. I'm connected to the one who forgives and who heals and who restores and who loves me despite me. That's what being a Christ follower means. It's not a free pass to to goodness and and loving and all of the perfect things. So when hard stuff happens, we're like, why, God? Why not, people? It doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change his love and faithfulness. As I have thought again about today and just, and it's funny, I've talked to a few people, what are some of the best yeses in your life? What are some of the best yeses that, that God has brought you to and through and a lot of times those yeses, when I, when I got with a, a few different people, it dealt with other people, right? Like, like, of course, a lot of folks said, well, my best yes is when I committed my life to Christ. Well, that's awesome. You know, and they would explain their journey. My best yes is when I married my spouse. My best yes is when I went to this college or that college. Some of the people I spoke to, their best yes did begin with, well, I said no to the thing that I thought I wanted. And, or I said no to the thing I thought God was leading me to. And then it brought me down this path. And then there was this huge journey. And I was able to see God's restoration and redemption and redeeming in that. So there's a lot of places that our yes will take us to. But what I have found is that our best yeses a lot of times have little to do with us. And everything to do with who we belong to. 
who we surrender our life to, who we look to to say, okay, God, what is my path? I'm not quite sure, but I know that I want you to lead it. What is right and wrong? I really don't know, but I know that I, I want to please you, so I want to I do my best to hear your voice and get it right. Everything I do has to have Jesus at the forefront. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Do I trust that? Do I believe that? I'm going to end with this, and the band can come on up in just a second. But 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 to 22, it's in your bulletin. It says, whatever God has promised gets stamped with the yes of Jesus. In him, this is what we preach and pray, the great amen. God's yes and our yes together. Gloriously evident. God affirms us, making us a sure thing in Christ putting his yes within us. By his spirit, he has stamped us with his eternal pledge, a sure beginning of what he is destined to complete. Our yes has to begin with Jesus. Our yes has to begin with you are faithful, you are good, and you are whole. Use me. However that looks, use me. I'm excited to know that, that God has so we talk about our best summer ever. We have our baking game coming up. We have all these activities. I know and believe that God is working here at Martha Bowman. And he is working in the small yeses of people that are behind the scenes. Fran mentioned our intercessor prayer team. God's working in our intercessor prayer team and lives are changing. God is working in some of the one-on-one the -on -one situations that are happening as people are saying, okay, my marriage is really hard right now, but I'm going to say yes to the Lord and just pray that he is working in this. Or this job situation is really difficult. I don't know what to do, but I know that if I continue to move towards Jesus, he will work out the pieces. And guys, he is. I can't tell you the story after story after story of God's faithfulness in the midst of, I don't know how it's going to work, but I trust that you do. That's what we, we put our hope in.